Threat intelligence represents a critical component in protecting the government's vast data resources. But as agencies rely increasingly on the cloud and complex web applications, threat intelligence on tactics as well as adversaries is taking on greater importance for government agencies. Welcome to our series on leveraging the cloud to ensure mission resilience, underwritten by Splunk. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and joining me to talk about the evolving nature of threat intelligence is Patrick Coglin, Group Vice President, Security Market at Splunk. Uh, Patrick, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Wyatt. Great to be here. So, Patrick, let's set the stage a little bit. Threat intelligence has really been around for a long time. What is the purpose of threat intelligence in today's context of modern security operations? And and how has its role changed, would you say, in the past couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. It's it's certainly been around for a long time. I was I was looking today that Mandian first came out with their APT1 report back in 2010, and that was the kickoff of this most recent phase of of how we think about threat intelligence. And maybe if we take a step back too, let's just break down those two words here, starting with threat. Threats is really capability times intent. Uh, In other words, what actors and campaigns have the capability and the intent to penetrate our systems with some unauthorized level of access to do harm? When you think about intelligence, you got to kind of think about the hierarchy of data, data being individual observations, and then above data is information. Information is, is a useful collection of, of individual observations. Intelligence is above information, and it combines information, collections of data, to form a predictive narrative that should enable better decision-making. So now we've got threat and intelligence. And what we're really talking about is curated combinations of information about actors and campaigns that ought to help organizations prevent, detect, and respond faster, better, stronger. And so with the idea of intelligence being around so long, the promise of intelligence has shifted, I think, in the last five years to really becoming more focused on the role that intelligence can play for automation. And certainly the journey to the cloud that we've seen in the public sector as well as the private sector has really reinforced this focus on automation because we now have, you know, the attack surface area has expanded dramatically. There's more sources, you need more coverage. And automation is is often the only way that our customers can keep up with the demand on security operations. And so intelligence really in security operations of the last decade was about how do I write these really fancy, you know, priority intelligence requirements? How do I keep these manual dossiers or wikis on the threat actors that are relevant to my organization? Maybe I'm writing some intelligence summaries or giving you some meaty slides to share in your board deck that will scare the crap out of the board. And I think that all of that is important, but to go back to your question, what's what's going to evolve and what we're seeing evolve is that intelligence kind of moves from that cloak and dagger government way of understanding national security intelligence into this new normal where intelligence is about accelerating the automation journey. 
Because at the end of the day, the promise of threat intelligence for security operations is that it should give you increased detection coverage without having to sacrifice your quality. And it should give you confidence to expand your automation coverage, either to automate more parts of the playbook because you're getting validation from external threat intelligence, or to deploy more automation across more parts of your workflow. I'm curious, though, from your perspective, what would you say is different about sources and the uses of threat intelligence in the private sector versus the public sector and their security operations? Yeah, the transformation of the threat landscape over the last 15 years is very relevant here. I mean, it used to be when I was when I was starting in this space, the big threat actors used to be the purview of government agencies. You know, the reason why you needed deep threat intelligence to track those actors, to track those campaigns, doing the manual work that I was talking about before, often that was that was what you did in a government agency. But what's changed, of course, is as the government has become more digitized and the stack of tools and solutions and workflows that the government is using starts to look and have more parity to what a large private sector organization would use in this digitized world. So government in some ways is moving closer to the private sector, maybe not as quickly as all of us would like, but the private sector also is has access to more user data that used to be the purview of the government agency. So you've got, you've got both sides kind of coming closer together and that's driving a lot of overlap in the sources and uses of threat intelligence today between the private sector and the public sector that we would not have seen in the past. In government, you may have more internal sources shared across agencies, for example. You may have some of that, although in the private sector, we've we've really seen the rise of ISACs, intelligence sharing and analysis communities that have, that have sprung up, usually around specific industries like the IT ISAC, the retail ISAC, financial services ISAC has been around a long time. You may see a little bit more of that sort of cross-agency sharing happening in the government. You may see a little bit more of an appetite still for open source intelligence in the private sector or paid sources in the private sector. But at the end of the day, I think the real answer to your question is there should be a lot less differences in sources of uses of threat intelligence in the private sector versus public sector today than there was five years ago. And I think that these will only continue to come closer together. Next, let me ask, what does the maturity journey look like these days for intelligence and security operations? And maybe if you could kind of personify that a little, can, can you talk about examples of when is it the right time to leverage threat intelligence, given all the tasks that security personnel have to focus on? Yeah, it's a good question. There was a time in, in the last decade where threat intelligence was the, the, for the 1%, you know, the, the most mature of organizations. After you felt like you had your detection and response really well oiled up, your processes were, were at a high level, um, your staffing was at the levels that you wanted it to be, then you could really think about bringing in threat intelligence. And often you would need to have a, you know, a team of threat intelligence analysts to help do the curation. Um, and some of that is still true, but but we're seeing companies that may have been further down the maturity curve start to get economies out of intelligence because of the way that intelligence is being integrated into um, security operations tools. So rather than being a standalone function, we're seeing intelligence integrated into endpoint detection and response. We're seeing it integrated into SIM workflows. We're seeing it integrated into SOAR workflows. And so the, the curation is happening inside of the tools. And certainly Splunk has made some fantastic moves 
on this front, bringing threat intelligence management directly into their SIM product via the TrueStar acquisition, which is how I came to be at Splunk. The maturity curve is certainly not as steep as it used to be. And a lot of that is because of the technological innovation that we've seen in terms of connecting threat intelligence with automation. We still have a long way to go. You know, if you ask 10 customers of ours today what your experience with threat intelligence has been, you know, over the last couple of years, I'd say you have five of them who would roll their eyes and say, oh my God, threat intelligence just creates noise. And then you'd have others who would say, it's transformed my operation. I am getting faster detection times, I'm getting faster responses. And then you'd have a few others who would say, I still haven't figured out where to plug it in or where to use it. And that's where I think we've got to, we've got such an opportunity to really unlock the value of intelligence for acceleration in security operations in the coming years in ways that, that our customers just haven't even really experienced yet. Well, as we think about those that are further along the maturity curve, I'm curious as we look out into the future and as you look out into the future, what's next and what are you excited about in the industry for how organizations are leveraging threat intelligence to stay ahead of adversaries? Yeah, on sort of the philosophical level, I have a background in intelligence. And sometimes when I talk like this, it's a little controversial, right? Because what, what I'm really saying is I, I see the future of intelligence and cybersecurity is becoming increasingly diffused and democratized and integrated. We don't need to build the NSA inside of every agency in the government in order to leverage threat intelligence. We don't need to build the NSA inside of private sector companies. They should be the best companies in the world at, at making genes or, or whatever it is. And vendors are stepping to the challenge of integrating threat intelligence into workflows in ways that we haven't seen before. And part of that also is thinking about intelligence in innovative ways. We used to think threat intelligence was indicators of compromise, signatures, you know, uh, malicious IPs and hashes. In the last couple of years, the MITRE attack framework has fundamentally improved the value of intelligence by bringing us up from, you know, atomic indicators into TTPs and, and providing the industry a standard to really help leverage the value of the pyramid of pain, so to speak, for the customer. And I'm interested and excited about, you know, what I'm seeing in some of the research around indicators of behavior and how we're really moving closer and closer to this concept of risk, where it's not just about what are the signatures or the malicious hashes and IP addresses, but what are the behaviors that we're seeing from the users that help us get a more complete view of risk rather than just one-off alerts triggered by saved searches on indicators of compromise. We are combining IOC detection TTP alignment with the behaviors that we're seeing, such as when somebody accesses or creates a file, you care about data theft, you care about sabotage and espionage, you care about the malicious insider in ways that we haven't in the past. And so this is giving us a more concrete, cohesive view of risk. At Splunk, we call this our risk-based alerting framework. And we see that in our customers that have implemented risk-based alerting that leverages intelligence and indicators of behavior and indicators of compromise alongside a risk framework that is tunable by the customer, you know, they're seeing double digit percent decreases in alert volumes. They're seeing similar reductions in false positives. They're seeing faster time to detection. The reduction in false positives is improving time to response, allowing your human and well-trained analysts 
to spend the most time on the riskiest events. And, and that is something I'm super excited about. And in our final minute or so, how is Splunk and, and the cloud more generally making it easier for security professionals to ingest and make sense of the continuing barrage of threat intelligence as part of their overall data analytics activities? Yeah. I mean, I think that the short answer there is the cloud makes integration easier. Um, there, of course, is a an explosion of sources and destinations that need to be integrated when you move to the cloud. The key to unlocking the value of intelligence is getting the curated flows going to the right places in the org, whether that's via the SIM, whether that's via SOAR, case management or other tools. And and the cloud just makes all of that easier to build, deploy, and maintain. And when we talk to CISOs and our customers, this is a fundamental challenge is how do I get my tools working together? How do I get the data flows so that they are seamlessly moving across these disparate silos and disparate vendors? And so I think once we get over the hurdle of getting a critical mass of the integrations in place for customers, it actually provides way more economies at scale when you think about all the places that intelligence needs to go in the ecosystem and the integrations that will be required to maintain those data flows. Well, Patrick Coglin, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the evolving nature of threat intelligence, especially for the public sector agencies. Well, thank you for having me. And tune into the rest of our podcast series, Leveraging the Cloud to Ensure Mission Resilience on fedscoop.com, underwritten by Splunk. This is Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in.